to the Naked Under the Table show, where we say what we think because we're just as naked under the table as you are. We've got nothing under the table and nothing is off the table. Our weekly golden nuggets are delivered hot and fresh by your favorite half-naked people, Martin, Denise, and Elsie. And this week's episode is the last and final episode of our If Movies Were Real series. And the movie we are going to discuss tonight is the classic Waterworld. So welcome, welcome, my co-anchors this evening. How are you guys doing on this lovely wet Hello. Monday night? Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hey. How are you guys? Hello. I've had a long-ass Monday. How was your Monday? Oh, very, very, very tiring. Very busy. Which is good. <clears throat> I'm not complaining. All right. Well, for those of you who are joining the live stream, our audio is coming out loud and clear. That's no problem. So please do not be dismayed if our video feed is a little bit frozen. This is formally, first and foremost, a podcast after all. So you can just listen to our lovely voices. Um, in fact, if those of you uh, don't get to catch our live streams on Monday night at 10 p.m. Philippine time, we are also on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, and the like. You can just go to the Naked Under the Table show and catch all of our past episodes. Do give them a listen and a share because the more you share with people, the more we enjoy what it is that we do. So we are going to kickstart our podcast this evening and I am your host and I am stoked because I super, super love Waterworld. Um, so quick synopsis, if you guys haven't seen it, it is this movie starring Kevin Costner. And the premise is it's a dystopian future. And basically the entire, all the ice caps melted and the entire world is covered in water. And so for decades and decades already, human beings have lived on water and they've created makeshift kind of uh, habitations and communities within the water soaked earth. And they're, they're, they're trying to find this, uh, this piece of land that has been prophesized. And the way they're gonna find this piece of land is apparently there's a map. And this map is tattooed on a special little girl and her name is Inona, Enola, you know? And so everybody is clamoring to get a hold of this girl. This poor girl is getting kidnapped and passed back and forth. Um, and basically Kevin Costner comes in and kind of helps protect the girl and her guardian until such time that they are able to find the proverbial land at the end of the movie. All right, so that's a quick synopsis for all of you that haven't watched it. And don't worry, it is not a deterrent for you if you haven't watched it. It's very, very easy for you to go ahead and follow the conversation because we are going to be talking about what if Waterworld were real. So I'm gonna launch with my first question for my co-hosts over here. And the first question is, as mentioned, <laughs> I love you, Mars. As mentioned, the movie suggests that a world filled with mostly water, technically all water, except for that one plot of land that they're supposed to find. And they, you know, the movie suggests that a, a world filled with mostly water is a tough environment. Now, my question is, would you rather be stuck in a water world dystopia where the world is covered in water or the opposite, which is kind of like a Mad Max dystopia where the whole world is a desert and water is need to be found? Martin, we're going to start with you, man. Uh, Mad Max. 
Mad Max for sure. Like imagine this, right? So something that I, that I uh, was thinking about uh, with that movie was um, so in that movie they have these floating towns and they have ships and whatnot, right? But imagine how much like once you're on top of that water, there is only the the things they can find floating around that they can build shit out of. Um, in Mad Max. You can still go into these deserted cities and you can steal supplies or building materials or whatever you might need. Uh, so, so yeah, Mad Max, Mad Max. Also, I, I would much rather ride motorbikes around the desert than uh, yeah. water, water scooters. Like and stuff. All right. What about you, Elsie? I'm guessing you're going to agree with Martin. Okay. Depends. <laughs> Again, Hold on. It depends. Do I have gills? Oh, and we will cover that later. That is such a great build. We will cover that in a second. Oh my uh, God. Uh, yeah, it would be it would be same with Martin. Mad Max definitely, because water is just scary. You, 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 at least in the desert, you can say you can see uh, the horizon. You can see what's coming before you. Water, especially in the world of water world, where mutations are apparent, not just <clears throat> not just human mutations, uh, animal mutations because of the uh, of the disruption of of everything in the in the ocean. Uh, if you watch the film, there was a big like a monster whale that was uh, that that uh, Kevin Costner killed. So. Judging from that alone, it's already very scary. Uh, water alone, as of now, without any dystopian hazards, is already scary. There, uh, yeah. And, so, and, what, what more of it? about that? I mean, water is life, right? Water is life. Uh, have, you, have you ever been drinking salt water? Not, not much life. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no life in salt water. You're gonna die also. And, and I have to commend uh, uh, surfers like Nigi and, 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 and a lot of them. I think surfing is the most dangerous sport. It's the only sport that involves a shark. I mean, come on. I mean, that's the, I am so scared. That's why I will yeah. never be a surfer. <laughs> that's why the only Max sport is. where half yeah. of them have, uh, have uh, a lacking limbs. Okay, me personally, like, you know, the thing with, with, you know, water world is there's this, you know, you could drown, right? But Mad Max is you could die of thirst or heat stroke, right? So I guess if I really had to pick, and this is a twist on that age old beach or desert, uh, sorry, like ocean or, or desert kind of question, right? Where are you a water person or are you a land person? Um, honestly, if I had to pick, I'd rather be in water world because I imagine that like coarse dryness of the sand and the heat like pounding on you all the time. It's just intolerable. At least you can cool yourself down in the water, you know, and then when you get out to whatever buoy it is that you crafted for yourself, you can dry out, you know, but yes, salt water is not a replenishing kind of water, but I don't know. Me personally, I, I, I kind of live in the. I mean, if I, if I, top. if I was the whale, I would love it. I would love a shark. I, for sure. No, I I am good but with whales. I don't whales. think Elsie will like you very much if you're a shark, dude. Well, in water world, I think the reason there were mutations because of the disruption of of 
of the because of the chemical imbalance because the salt water was mixed with tons and tons of of, fresh, of water. fresh water from antarctica yep. thus creating this disruption of everything in the ocean if you were a whale you might, you probably either you mutate through time or you're you're dead. Yeah, yeah yeah you die out you die out because yeah. you're not adept to 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 fresh water hmm. so these are things the new spirit. the new composition of whatever that water is in the movie Actually, All right, good. so I think we've established. Go, go ahead, Marks. Well, what, well, what is it? Uh, it, it? That's funny because you have saltwater fish and you have freshwater fish. But what is it about saltwater and freshwater that makes some species of fish unable to live in those environments? I actually never thought about that. Density. Yeah. Density one. Yeah. Salt is more, is more dense than freshwater. So what happens to a freshwater fish oxygen, if it goes into salt water? Like how they process oxygen, like the amount of oxygen that they need. Oh. And it's also buoyancy. So Boy. salt water actually floats you more. So you don't need to exert as much effort to swim in salt water versus freshwater and stuff like that. But, so, but there are fish that can go both ways. Like salmon can, yeah. can go th- from, from fresh to, to salt water. Maybe it wasn't a massive whale, maybe it was just a mutated salmon. Oh, and that would be awesome. You can like salmon sashimi every day. Oh, okay. I totally picked the right dystopia. Water world, all the way. Are you, the way. To talk, you, know, you know what you call that kind of fish? What? Both ways? Insulting. <laughs> Oh my God! All right. On that note, we will move on to our second question because Elsie is right on the money as per usual. <laughs> All right. So for those of you just tuning in, we are doing the last episode of our "If Movies Were Real" series, and the movie we're covering tonight is Waterworld. So I am your host, and this is my next question, and I like this question. The movie underscores that old adage that too much of anything is inevitably dangerous for us. As such, water gives us life, suddenly puts all life in peril in this movie. And with so many similar narratives throughout history, where too much of a good thing inevitably destroys us, why do you think as humans, we have never learned the concept of temperance or moderation? <laughs> and I think Elsie has a strong opinion coming at us. So I'll start with you, Elsie. <laughs> Oh my God! I mean, this is an age-old question, Denise. It goes without saying, eh? Because human. <laughs> I mean, you can you can actually just look at our country. Uh, every year, there's a there's a flood. <laughs> every year, there's a storm, and we slowly we're trying to yeah. I guess we're 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 building some some advantages to to counter it, but. It's still bad. <laughs> we still don't care. We still throw trash like there's no tomorrow, right? And and eventually the next year it's gonna happen again. People will die from a flood, from <laughs> from a storm, from garbage. Uh, come on, I mean, well, that's just this country and and a lot of other uh, 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 third world countries. But in an, in a, in a, a whole perspective of. of Humankind? Uh, it's 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 definitely something that we have to think about. Uh, global warming is totally real. Um, the ice is melting, and that is that is a that is a fact. Uh, a couple of cubic uh, cubic uh, 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 millimeters every every day. 
and if you calculate that uh, with the, with the, with the amount of 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 of, of the melting uh, uh, capacity in 13,000 years would be would be water world exactly in years so that's a long long time but but every day changes we are heating up the earth is heating up as we know it so so that changes so 13,000 is just a calculation of what we have now what after 10 years it would be a different calculation it could be even faster so that's a scary thought what about you Marge? why do you think as humans we haven't been able to learn the concept of moderation man i, I just want to i just want to ask real quick living in in um uh, oh you live in antipolo yeah so it's not it's a little bit higher up right but living in metro manila have you guys been preparing your boats for when the water is coming do you have like a rowboat or anything in, stored away in your in your places? Right? Yes, you're actually, definitely going to be underwater. And for those of you that want to learn survival tactics, everybody should have a rubber boat. It's very practical because you can fold it, but you can't leave it folded. Okay, every once in a while you have to take it out and you have to inflate it and then run some water over it just to check that there are no holes and stuff. Because if you keep it folded, it gets all crusty and and dry and then when you unfold it it has all of these you know cracks in it so you know rubber boats keep them every six months inflate them just to, you know i have, i have a large truck <laughs> i have a large four by four can, can so. it swim oh yeah oh yeah it's pretty much waterproof <laughs> okay Marts, do you have a perspective on why we haven't learned temperance yeah yeah of course i have of course i have i don't know if i'm right though but um I think uh, uh, temperance and, and, and moderation, I, I think it's an eternal individual struggle. That It's just an eternal human struggle. It's, it's not that we have, uh, why we haven't learned it, because it, it doesn't work like that. Like That's something that you on an individual level have to learn and, and just not everybody does it, you know? Um, it's not something that you can force down on on humans as a term because that, that is something that you have to learn as an individual for yourself and and most people have no idea how much they consume that's right? true because your limits or what is too much is highly individualistic right what what is too much for one person is totally tolerable for another yeah so so when when we talk about this because obviously temperance and, and moderation is is uh is something to strive for because we know that that's what we have to do but on on what terms like are you going to live like a monk right are you going to do like a buddhist monk well That's, some people do the right buddhist some monks. people do but <laughs> but again it's on an individual level and it's something really for you to learn it's something that i have encountered a lot is is people from uh, for example people from developed countries believing that the majority of the pollution comes from uh developing countries but as it actually turns out and you guys can look it up if you want but if you go if you google uh co2 emission per capita a person in a green country like denmark emits more than five ten times the amount of co2 emission a year that a filipino citizen mm. emits right that's because you're twice our size you're like double the height of an average Filipino. because we have three fridges you know two freezers <laughs> six televisions right um so 
I'll, I'll keep to that, you know, like, like it, look at it from a, a, an individual perspective. The moment you start looking at it from a collective perspective, you, you're going to get it wrong for sure. You know, and all of a sudden it's everybody else's fault and you're walking around being an angel, doing everything the right way. And it's just, that's just not how it works. It really isn't. So, so yeah, my perspective is why haven't we learned it? I think it's an eternal, uh, human uh, struggle, like life in general. Like look at a virus, for example. A virus is also, um, uh, can also be lethal to its environment, right? It's the same same concept. So I think it's a it's an eternal human and and some parts also biological struggle. And you'll have to find the answer to that on an individual level and, and, and not on a collective level. I agree with you so much because it's funny how collectively as a human race we haven't learned this art of moderation and we know and that message is rammed down our throats repeatedly that you know too much of something is bad for you. And I agree with you that it's individual and i think the reason why it's individual is every single person thinks they're the exception every single person thinks that they are going to be the one that doesn't need the moderation that doesn't need the temperance that can go all super science and it's not going to self-destruct them or the world right to a degree our ego plays such a huge role in why we don't moderate ourselves and why we can't have that level of temperance you know, and, and it's not even sometimes even on a day to day, like, you know, what, let's say, you know, what your limit of work is. And yet people are continuously overworked, continuously stretched and tired, and then they get to burnout, you know, and the cycle keeps repeating itself. And you already know, you already know your limits and you're still going through the same stuff, pushing yourself to the limit until you have your proverbial burnout and you don't learn to moderate. And I think that's because as I mentioned, you think the next time is going to be different. You think you're going to be the exception, you know, and it's highly individual. And then some of all its parts as a human race, we just haven't learned, which is actually, you know, kind of connected to, and, and, and maybe I'll switch around the questions because I, you know, I want to ask this, this next question in, in connection to that individuality that we've just been talking about, right? So I wanted to ask, Elsie was touching on it, that, you know, in the dystopian future of water world, certain individuals actually mutate, right? And in this particular vignette in the story of Waterworld, we meet one of them. And that's the character played by Kevin Costner. So Kevin Costner had a mutation that gave him innate advantages in this dystopian universe, such as having gills on his hands and feet, being able to breathe uh, longer on the water and swim faster and all of that. So my question is, how would you feel if you were one of those ordinary people that didn't have that innate advantage or mutation? And how would you treat his character if you met him? And be honest. Who are you asking? Any of you, any of you. Well, the, be the best thing to do for me is befriend him. Yeah, Lynch is a guy. If, befriend him. If, 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 if the if Kevin Costner happens to be a, a, a female, for in my case, I would procreate. <laughs> that's not, that's a sensible thing to do. Yeah, you know, you're in a water world. Of course, the best way to 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 go through that through that kind of life is to 
is to have advantages like how we evolved on earth how like any and like how any uh, living creature on this planet have has evolved but you know that's not usually how it is i mean very often we are afraid of things we do not understand and ideally of course we will befriend the quote unquote advancement of the species <laughs> and i'm pretty so sure in the movie don't. there are some guys haunting him right no they were so he was highly rejected he was mm -hmm. highly rejected he was a pariah right and the reason that is is because we are afraid of things we don't understand and more importantly innately our darwinism survival mode kicks in and we know that it's the next evolution of the species that renders our current evolution extinct right, right? and so i don't know if you know we can be all idealistic about it and be like yeah we should be his friend because he's got like these innate advantages and we should procreate to better the human race but then we basically contribute to the extinction of our current yep. evolutionary stage. Yeah. Right. Unless, unless to embrace it and, and start uh, uh, treating him like a god and procreating. <laughs> it's the only way for the species to to survive. Because yeah. it's it's it, uh, Kevin Costner was a, was a was a Kevin Costner. Was a is a, he's a handsome man. <laughs> he did. Uh, was, uh, those uh, kids would look amazing, man. Yeah, especially that with that kind of hair in the movie, well, which is I know, but, uh, but it, like, it's kind of like just kind of like that whole X Men thing, also, right? Exactly, it's the same thing. We were afraid of the mutants because they were the evolution of of the human race, what we could have been, what we could be. So the majority, which is Homo sapiens. Prosecuted the super homo sapiens. It's yeah, the but same not, thing as... not necessarily uh, the majority of the homo sapiens prosecuted no. the mm. mutants. And I think it's going to be mm. very much the same. Like it again, it's 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 at the extremes of the ideological um, scope that you see these crazy things being done. You know, um, yeah. but but for sure there will be people that would envy his whatever or be afraid that whatever display their insecurities that way um could it be us for sure it could like it could be anybody else um i, I mean I, I i don't know i don't know who knows maybe i won't even meet the guy you know what if 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 Darwinism will take too long, I think technology will take over and we would probably evolve through technology. That's that's it's happening right now. We're beating death as we as we speak. People are living longer. There's CRISPR. There's genome editing, mm -hmm. which the neck which the the first CRISPR baby I, I think was born last year or 2018. That CRISPR baby will live longer than any of us, will not have any innate sicknesses it'll be like what a soldier what i like um what martin touched on is you know generally the reason we would reject somebody that's different or special depending on your your point of view one is fear but the other one is envy right very often we reject them because we're pissed off like why does he get to be special why does right. he get the gills and these you know in, in abilities to swim fast and survive in situations we don't or can't you know and i think that's a very, more than fear, I think envy could be a more dangerous emotion in this particular dystopian setting, uh, you know, uh, because envy, yeah, go ahead, Mars. Uh, yeah, but I just, I just agree. I, I think envy, 
describes uh, there's a whole theory from my part, but I think envy drives a lot more bad than fear does. And envy has a lot of lead-ins. I mean, technically greed and envy are different things, but they're kind of very interconnected. And what happens when you're very envious and you're very greedy is you end up either hoarding or you end up destroying the things that are valuable to society as a whole and then you run out of them, which is actually what happens in this movie. Right? Everybody becomes so greedy and envious of each other, and they're not actually working together. Um, and even the ones that are working together, there's kind of like this, this subservient, almost autocratic subculture in each of these communities. Right? And that's why I wanted to get to you know, my next question, which is one of the tenets in Waterworld is the idea that staying together creates strength, you know, that there is strength in numbers because you stand a better chance of protecting yourselves from the smokers, which are kind of like pirates in this particular universe. But Kevin Costner was a self-proclaimed loner, right? He didn't associate with communities. In fact, he was very hesitant, almost begrudging what he had to take care of, of this little girl. And he cared not that she was the prophesized whatever map holder or map tattooed person, right? And, and I'm wondering, you know, if, if you were him, if you had this mutation and you were this evolved creature, would you do the same thing as him in this scenario? Why or why not? Do I have guilt? Yeah, you do. Yeah, now you find you, you wanted to have guilt. Now she gave you guilt. What are you going to do uh, with it, Elsie? What are you going to do with your guilt? I am tweeting you like a god. Bam! You are now Kevin Costner. If would you, you be a loner, or would you? You'd, you'd be a loner because you'd be you'd be prosecuted for being different. Number one, number two, you know the truth. Remember in the movie, he he showed them what where land was. It was under water. But then but again, let's see. Let's see now you're contradicting. Now you're contradicting yourself because earlier you said if you met a Kevin Costner and you weren't the one that was mutated you totally embrace him, right? You even start a community around him. And now I switch it around and you are the Kevin Costner mutant and you're like, no, no people, no community. I'm going to be alone. No, you're asking me if you would do the same as Kevin Costner. That made sense. What he did as being a loner made sense. I don't know if that's the, I don't know if it does. One of, the, one of the undertones in the movie is that, see, you need people too, right? You can't be alone forever. Because sometimes you're going to need some help, and no matter how powerful or advantageous your innate mutations are, there's going to be a point where being alone isn't enough. You know, and, and, and you know, that's why I feel like if I were the Kevin Costner in this movie, I'd do exactly what you said, Elsie. I would form a community around me and have, you know, all of these women and impregnate them to create more me babies. Easier said than done, Denise. Are you sure that they would like you? Dude, I mean, we've been thinking about it. You'll be different. Once they see your gills, they would probably try to dissect you or something. You have to think about that. Remember when he, they found out he was he was different, they put him in a cage. Yes, exactly. But I'm not talking from their perspective. I am going to find people like that you know, wanna that that wanna get impregnated yeah, by you. Exactly. You know, you know who also who also tried to create master races of of, 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 of right now. But it's so.
You can count the people with, with, with probably in hundreds. Spider-Man concept, 
because he has extra powers. So with the extra powers he have, he should take that extra responsibility and make the most of the gifts that he's been given. Like we all should in life, but we don't all do it. So yeah. That's a that's a cool perspective. I never thought of it that way. I I, I totally agree with Martin. Uh, Kevin Costner's character uh, should be lonely uh, due to the fact that he's the, the, only, the only one of his kind. It's de facto loneliness, yeah. Uh, like 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 how Grant Morrison wrote Superman, he's the loneliest being on earth because he's the only one of his kind. So uh, think about that. That's, but that, but, that's, but that's the paradox not only of heroes, but that's of people, yeah, self, everybody. Self-thinking individuals. If you are a real individual, if you have your own, at least somewhat your own personality, you're not just a copy of whatever you saw on television or like reality photo. Though, you will always have a have have a have a big part of you which is lonely because you realize that that although you can see things in other people that you it's also reflected in yourself you will always just be you as an individual and and that comes with a bit of loneliness but in any case here i see it i see it as as this this uh this peter pan concept of not taking responsibility being miserable for it right because the, the concept is that if you don't take responsibility then you might miss out on the purpose of life but in any case it's it's that struggle and this girl kind of kind of pushes him more and more yeah. into uh but I, like, I like what you said though because that's something that wasn't i mean it was touched on very lightly but i think they could have extrapolated that narrative too in 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 the movie in what you said about you know when you are gifted with special gifts when you are you know unique there is a facet also where you have a responsibility to help those that are not as gifted or not able to survive as well as you can you know your your whole spider-man complex so i realized that wasn't strung out in the movie but that's actually what enola was trying to tell him because that was her too she was unique too she was the only one of her kind too you know she was different you know and she suffered a loneliness too but her attitude was the opposite her attitude was i have a responsibility to other people you know, and, and, and that, that, I guess, dichotomy is the right word, is, is actually what, what the movie was about. Like, if you are special, if you are different, you know, do you say, well, fuck it, you know, I'd rather be alone than get persecuted or misunderstood? Or do you accept that, yeah, you know, they're not going to get me, but they need me, though. They need me, though. And that's, that's very interesting. And I think that brings a, a lot of color even into our world today. There are many talented people that they hold up in their own rooms and garages and they build stuff but you know they don't really help anybody and then there are those that go out and then they get the cancel culture thrown at them and they're honestly just trying to help you know they're just misunderstood you know? yeah i mean for, for me personally it hits very close to home i've been traveling around the world for what six years i think six years Something like that, right? I recently returned to to the country I was born in, but I've been traveling around the world for six years. And it doesn't mean that I haven't been taking responsibility, but I have never committed in a way where I took responsibility for something that I couldn't 
uh, turn away from. If you, if you get what I mean, like something that I like, something you go in, like having kids, for example, right? You okay? You you could probably fucking leave your kids, but it's not really an opportunity that most people would would uh, would would consider, right? So so um, so yeah, it's it's a concept of responsibility. It hits close to home for me because that's an everyday struggle for me, an everyday struggle whether I should go through the pain of sharing myself with the world, which is a massive pain, communicating yourself into the world in a way that 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 you're satisfied with and that you hope, hopefully at the end of the day and that some people will be able to understand this is incredibly hard or just turning your back on everything and just taking care of yourself. That's an, it is an everyday struggle for me. And every day, every day I struggle with that. So it hits very close to home with me, and, and I that's that's how I see it in any case. I wonder if that's oh go ahead, Elsie, go ahead. No, uh, in the movie, uh, Kevin Costner started as as that kind of person. He was uh, 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 disheartened with with everybody. He thinks that human the human race is is not worth saving. Yes, he uh, he had the powers to, to to help a lot, but he didn't find anything worth saving. He met uh, the little girl, and I think that was the change of the character. And yeah, it reflects a, a lot to us also. Sometimes we need that uh, that uh, push, that reminder that oh, maybe it's there worth it. Still goodness in the world, no matter how small, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. It could be a a good uh, transition to your next question. It is. It is. Thank you, Elsie, for reading my mind, and you know. <laughs> That's actually the best transition. Um, and since we're talking about... If I read your mind, Denise, I'd go crazy. Well, that is true, which is why I am debated if I have a responsibility to help the world or if I'm going to be a loner, miserable person. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but, but remember, if you are alone, you don't have to take responsibility. And sometimes that's, that's, that's easier. It's easier to be miserable than it is to take responsibility. On you. It's easier to go around and complain that everything is shit than actually having to do something about it. I think everybody would agree. All right. So to the point, um, it's nice that we kind of ended up talking about the juxtaposition of Kevin Costner's loner character and how because of the other character in the movie, the little girl, um, he kind of changed his tune about, you know, human race and saving it. And that's my question. Um, just like other dystopian settings, the salvation of the human race, again, in many movies and stories, the salvation of the human race in Waterworld hangs on one singular being. And in this case, it's that young child, Enola. So my question now becomes, why do you think as humans, we are so keen, so enamored with putting our salvation into one being, into one being? Uh, who uh, who goes first? I go first. Elsie goes yeah, first. Go ahead. Yeah, whoever feels like it. I think the answer to that is actually uh, not simple, but uh, it's easier. It's easier if it's not you that needs to come up with the solution for anything or everything. If it's not your again, I think it comes down to responsibility. It's easier if it's not you who are responsible. That's why it's always easier to put the responsibility on something else. Um, 
And I think people do that all the time. I, I, I do that all the time. And I think most people do that all the time. Uh, and one thing is to do it. So, so this is a, it works with, with responsibility for saving you, but also with blame, right? So you can put it like as a kid, you can put it on your parents, right? Or you can put it on whatever. And, and you try to put, or as an adult on your friend or your boss or whoever it is. But the problem is you actually know all of these people. So eventually they're going to tell you to fuck off, right? But if you find one person which you can't relate to, or even if that person is like a non-existent figure, now all of a sudden you all have someone to blame who can't tell you that you're an idiot. And that makes so things a that, lot that, easier. That one Messiah Savior thing is like a cop-out. We've copped out, right? Like I, 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 I totally understand why you would do it. And as I said, I think people, I think we do it all the time. I think I do it all the time. When, when shit sucks, I hope somebody is going to fucking come riding in and, and save me. Uh, so, so I think it's a fundamental uh, tendency in, in human behavior, in human psychology. I think it's, uh, and, and I don't think it's something to be ashamed of, really, because I think everybody does it. But the answer just, just doesn't lie there. The answer lies with you. You want to be saved, then you're the one that has to take the responsibility. But I think the reason why we have a tendency to put our salvation in one being is because it it's easier that way. Do you agree with him, Elsie? Yeah. <clears throat> to a certain degree, yeah. That's, that's, it, it, throughout storytelling history, there, there was always a messiah. There was always a hero. There was always a savior. There was always a sign be that uh, uh, in human form or, or another. There was always that object or that, or that uh, uh, symbol that needs, that needs that will save us all. Um, now, in our modern storytelling, we have superheroes. We have Superman, you know, all these uh, uh, godlike heroes. Uh, I think that's just how humans are. We have a tendency to, to worship. I mean, we like that. Uh, if, I, I wish you guys can watch uh, Raised by Wolves because that's the premise of the whole movie. For That's how I take it. It's how these kids are being raised as atheists by androids that don't believe in a higher power. But through their youth, through while they grow up, they are reverting back to some sort of faith. So that's a, that's a very interesting... Uh, 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 it's human nature. Yes, it's a cute. It, it could be. It, it could. It, it could be. I'm not saying that that we are bound for that for all eternity. I I, I can't say that because uh, uh, scientists believe that once we turn in a, in a few hundred years, we might become a, a type one society, which might not require that. But we don't know. We don't know yet. This is something that's uh, that fascinates me. Uh, so as of now. We're still there. We need it. And it makes, let's face it, it makes good storytelling. It does. So that, yeah. I think, so I'm going to go the track of Martin and like come at this from a psychological perspective. 
And I think the reason human beings put all their faith in one basket, proverbially, you know, where there's this one man or woman or child or God or deity to save us all, is because we are all innately afraid that we are not enough, that we don't have the talent, the strength, the capability to do it, you know. And on one hand, I get what Martin's talking about. It's can we make it somebody else's problem, right? But I think if you go deeper than that, I think. The reason we want it to be somebody else's problem is we're afraid, shit, what if it's me? What if I'm the one that has to save the world? I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't have the capacity, the will, the, the talent or whatever to, to save the world, you know? And, and, I, and I think the reason why characters like a messiah in, in stories are invented is to, to let us be like, it's okay, it's okay, you know? rest in your insecurities, rest in the woe of you not being good enough. And we're not going to pressure you. You're not going to have to save anything or do anything or even be anything. Somebody else will come. Somebody else will clean up the mess, you know? And, 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 and on one hand, yes, I argue it could be we're lazy or we're just, you know, too afraid of something. Yeah. But I think it's, we're too afraid. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're too afraid that it might be us. You know, like what if what if one day somebody goes, oh crap, I have to be the one to do it. You know, I want to quote I want to quote uh, uh, a comic book. A uh, Wonder Woman said in a in a, in a comic book that uh, she said that uh, I don't I can't imagine anyone going through life without calling to a higher power, and that's Wonder Woman who always calls yeah. out Hera. Yeah. Help me, Hera, give me strength, and then she's godlike. She's like a woman yeah. on, on, on the planet. Yeah. But, you said this in the other show. Right? It's always really bigger, better, stronger. You mentioned that in one of the other shows. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it never ends. You know, you, you know, you could be top dog now, but something is going to happen. Nature is going to write itself, and it's going to put you down in that proverbial pyramid. There's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger star. There's always a bigger sun. <laughs> A bigger galaxy, a bigger universe, faster even. And I, I have some, I have some comments here on the live feed that I think I'd like to read out. Um, Christopher says, "I think Kevin Costner would be able to." I think he was pertaining to our earlier questions. Mate with a human person, but their heirs would be sterile, sterile, like a mule. Oh, okay, that would be an interesting perspective. But then I wonder why they would be sterile, though. Why? What's the why, why? Why did he come up with that uh, finding? I'm not sure. He said it's kind of like a daddy donkey, a mama horse, but a daddy donkey is it's his analogy, right? And mm -hmm. and and Vanessa was commenting on our discussion about why we think we always need that Messiah in our stories or even in our real world is we're all a sucker. She's agreeing with you, Elsie. We're all a sucker for heroes, you know. Um, so yeah, I will take that chance as to. As long as we in. don't suck up the heroes. At least, or the heroes don't fuck up. True. So on that note, I would like to take this chance to plug our Spotify. Uh, if you guys haven't been tuning in, we did do an entire series on science fiction, and one of them actually discusses superheroes. So if you wanted to give that a listen, you can check it out on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, Radio Republic, and all of that. Um, just look for the Naked Under the Table show. Um, so we are discussing the movie Waterworld, and I am going to switch tracks a little bit, and I am going to move from hero worship 
to villainy a little bit, ooh. you know, and ooh, you know, and in this movie, there's this Dennis Hopper character, and he is the the leader of the smokers, right? That are glorified pirates, if you will. And he, like everybody else, is after this young child in Nola, trying to capture her because he needs to control the narrative of what happens. Um, and he doesn't want to just give it to anybody else. So he's kind of after a certain kind of world order. And so much like in other dystopian settings, the villain is relentlessly pursuing his own misguided sense of world order. So my question is, why do you think that the people who crave order are always the ones that are vilified? You notice this? Can I answer? <clears throat> Villains, their one of their fears is hope. They, they every villain in most comic books or, or stories, they try to eradicate hope. Why? So, if you give them hope, like like Enola was was a symbol of hope that there is land. Once we they have land. Uh, 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 um, the community can propagate, the community can be stronger, and they might not be the smokers, so thus uh, taking away his power. Uh, same with uh, with other villains. Uh, it's always hope. Uh, you take away their hope, like uh, Book of Eli. Remember that movie, Book of Eli, when 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 uh, uh, who was the who was the who who played uh, the blind. Uh, What's that name? Who's the actor who played that? That the black guy, the good-looking dude, that good-looking guy. Yeah, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington. Yes, yes. Oh, Denzel. He's a handsome man. Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Denzel. No, Denzel played. And I know you have to say it that way. You don't say Denzel. You say Denzel. Denzel. Everybody wants to be like Denzel. Goodbye. Right? Never mind. <laughs> he was carrying the Bible, and 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 as the villain, in a dystopian world there was there was no religion, and 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 Eli, uh, he was carrying the Bible, and he wanted to destroy it. He wanted to keep it for himself, or or destroy it. I don't. I can't remember what. But Gary Oldman said that. We have to get that that book, and why is it so important? Uh, the henchman asked him, and he goes, "Cause it's a weapon. It's a weapon for hope. It's a weapon that will that will rally people against me. So it's 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 in in, in to a certain degree, it's the same with Waterworld. That Nola is the Bible. She was hope. the symbol. Yeah, hope incarnate. Yeah. So you know, I will take that a step further. Um, I agree that there are a lot of villains. Their their main goal is to eradicate hope but the smarter villains usually the mega mind villains they don't want to eradicate hope they want to control it because they know that it false hope that's what yeah. they do. so like you know in the movie hunger games which is another dystopian movie we didn't cover it in this series for obvious reasons uh, it's just overly discussed but i will touch on one thing that the villain in that series said so the villain is president snow and he is trying to maintain this Hunger Games, which is basically a glorified battle royale. And he explains the reason why he does that is there is one thing that is more powerful than fear when it comes to controlling people, and that is hope. 
And then he says, a little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. And maybe, you know, that's why villains, they're trying to capture whatever it is that hope represents. Maybe not necessarily to eradicate it, but to control it such that there's just enough to keep people in line, but not so much that they will rebel. Yeah. Will, you know? Great, great false hope. Uh, North Korea. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, he went there. I went there, but come on, let's face facts. He invented the hamburger? Really? He created the iPod? That's 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 really putting things in order. <laughs> he made himself into a god. I think that's enough said, right? He's a god, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll settle for a statue of me. <laughs> A big one, but I'll settle for that. I, I don't need to be a god. I just want a statue. But you're going to be posing as David. <laughs> as David. The statue of David. Yeah, I don't know. He's not very well endowed, actually, as, as years go. So I don't know if Martin wants to be David as a statue, necessarily. <laughs> oh, Maybe it was just very cold when he was getting his you know sculpture made because, you know, I'm, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Martin, what about you? Why do you think our society always vilifies the people that want some kind of world order? Because it's bad. World um, order is bad? Oh, so why do you think that the person who craves order is always vilified? Because you become tyrannical. Order inevitably comes becomes tyrannical if there's too much of it because order always and this is this is also another archaic idea but it's a battle between order and chaos or in this case we can call it chaos instead of calling it chaos we can call it change right so if you crave order like really crave order without chaos it becomes tyrannical right and if you truly crave order, you can't take change because change is what fucks up order. And that's why it becomes tyrannical because you have to force it. And that's why you become a villain because that is what it is. You become a tyrant. You become, uh, I was about to say everything that's bad in the world. It's not entirely true because too much chaos is anarchy. And that's also bad. Right? So obviously there needs to be a balance, but that's why. Uh, and the good thing about order in terms of using it to vilify yourself is uh, uh, instead of anarchy is I, I think the, the allure of order is more uh, seducing. I, I think order is more seducing than anarchy is. Uh, and also order has that, that, connotation of longevity versus anarchy which is very short-lived right you can't sustain anarchy for a long time but order you could imagine you do it for decades i mean technically can you imagine as pure anarchy right it can't exist it's impossible you can't you can't I find your i find your theory interesting because i always used to think the opposite of order was freedom right but you're right the opposite of order you know like rightist and leftist, it isn't freedom, it's anarchy, you know, and the, the, the opposite of that, that sense of, you know, keeping things in line, as you say, is 
that we won't evolve, we won't grow, we won't change, we won't learn and discover new things. You know, and that's that's. Yeah. I and and really and if you go into uh, the existential, and I know we like this, but I I do it often because I I genuinely believe it to be true. But if you look at the great minds of psychology and philosophy, not only existentialists, but the really great minds, um, and even the religious books, uh, religion is also about this. It's about what is the optimal way of being. And the optimal way of being is always have one foot in order and one foot in chaos. That's how you evolve. How You can't be too much on one side or too much on the other side. As an individual or as a society, it doesn't matter. The Matrix. Remember the Matrix? That's the whole premise of the Matrix. It's We need chaos in order for... Uh, uh, peace to exist. It's just a yin and yang. It's that's that's the rule of life. Yeah, yin and yang. So 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 yeah. So but I so to answer the question, why I think it's always order. Um, I believe it's always order because it's more rational. It's easier to sell safety to the masses than it is to sell anarchy. If you give up all of this stuff, I will make sure you are safe. Or saying the opposite around, uh, if you don't want any rules, then anybody can do anything, anytime they want. You know? It's so much... that, that's interesting. That is interesting. Because if I'm going by that, that, that road you're taking, that avenue, there are also gradients of keeping order. Right? On an extreme case, you have, for example, communism, which is... I'll keep order. I'll take care of you. Fascism. But there's very little freedom. There's very little individuality, you know, but I'll take care of you. And the order is very, very strict and very, very rigid. But then there is a more kind of flexible sense of order. And I don't know if that's even a little bit more dangerous because you don't notice things like a monarchy, for example. You know, you will have, let's say, monarchies that have been around not for decades, but for centuries, for centuries. And the monarchy is actually put there in place to keep a sense of order. There is an order to things. There is a hierarchy to things. And it may not be as strict or as rigid as, let's say, a communist regime or a fascist regime, but it's still actually a construct to keep people in line, to keep people in order. you know. And, and I think that's a little bit scarier in that the villainy in that, that, that construct is not so apparent, you know? Like, why does this family get to be in power generation after generation for hundreds of years simply because they got born in the right family? Like, they didn't earn it. They were just born there. And in a weird way, it takes us so long to realize that maybe they should be vilified too, that they need to earn it. You know, But I don't, think, I don't think they were. Like, I don't, I, I think that's, might be, uh, I, I get where you're going and, and I do believe where we are now. I do believe, uh, I do actually believe that democracy is the most developed answer we've had to these hierarchies that we have a fundamental need of, of having in our lives. Because people can't make sense of complete chaos. We, we, we just can't. There needs to be order. And hierarchies establishes order. The question is not to get rid of hierarchies. The question is, how do you build a healthy hierarchy? When it comes to monarchies, you could ask the question and say, that, why? Um, why aren't they being vilified? 
why they aren't being right. unified. But I think I think first of all, it's also it's an it's an articulation of these hierarchies which are are already a few hundred years back. Not that that's a long time on 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 universal scale, but it's still it's still a bit back. I, I think we have many places on on the world right now we have a more articulated and, and, and better understanding of the hierarchies that that we tend to form um but to answer your question the reason why they weren't vilified is because they weren't all bad there were loads of regions across time that did an amazing job right and i think and, i think and i think when it comes to to to, to that, and even if you look at dictatorships nowadays, people would do, they would go a, lot, a long way to, to keep peace. Because they know that once peace is not there anymore, even though the hierarchy is corrupt, it's still better than war. Okay, so I think, you know, before we go to the comments, and I'm going to ask Elsie to help read out, I think that's why this question is really interesting. You know, because in the movies, that person craving order creates such a specific kind of order. It's a very fascist dictator kind of order. And so it's very, very easy to vilify them. You know, and it begs the question, if their craving for order was not as intense, you know, would we even vilify them? And I, I'm not entirely sure that would happen. We might even feel for them. There might even be some kind of, you know, perspective where, you know, I totally get him though. I totally get this guy for wanting this and this, you know, and that's an interesting perspective for even our society today. You know, you can be in a society that has order, not realize it or not need to complain about it because it suits you and your, 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 at least the limits of your personal freedom. Um, but before, before we move on, Elsie, do you mind reading out some of the comments? Because I yeah, think... I'll, I'll send it to you. I, for some reason, some people are... The, some of their comments are not showing, though. So I yeah. don't know why. It's yeah. kind of... So you can just read them out, Elsie, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm All showing right. you because you can read better. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, wow, it's a JPEG, ladies and gentlemen. So I have to download I mean, it. Because it's not showing in our feed for some reason. Maybe there, maybe some some of them are no, commenting in another live feed. No, I've been jumping back and forth between the two live feeds that I have. Weird. Uh, but just give me a second. I'll drink some water and read. Hmm. Uh, no, going back to that villain, villains. <laughs> we just like villainizing the status quo. It's always that like that. So. Um, we were we were coming from Christopher's comment, and then Pam had a comment that, funnily enough, didn't show up. Uh, Pam's comment was, the dichotomy in the case of, for example, the Kevin Costner character, the Mariner, and Enola, which is the gifted girl, uh, isn't between being gifted versus being ordinary, but between being a coward, having cowardice, under the guise of of like, KF, what is KF itself, and self, of, under the guise of self-preservation, and courage. Okay. And I think that's interesting too, because Martin was touching on, you know, when you have these gifts, you have to decide, are you going to be alone and miserable? Or are you going to help people, you know, and that responsibility takes courage, actually taking on that mantle. It's, it's actually a, a different way of saying what, what Pam said. 
not yeah. not taking responsibility would be what you call cowardice right and would ultimately be done for selfish reasons no matter how well your logic explains it and taking responsibility is a, it's, it's it's what takes courage so it's so, a very good way of putting it yeah before we go to the last question um i like where we are going in terms of the idea of world orders and the the spectrum that it kind of we realize it kind of entails and i'm wondering now do we not because as i was listening to this i was wondering maybe the reason we vilify the people that want the world order is not just because we value freedom maybe there's some of us that are a little bit envious like why does he get to be the dictator why does he get to be the leader why does he get to have all the power for sure you know? i i mean for sure and and not not even if it's in a dictatorship just in general every day anywhere in the world people are jealous all the time why are they making the decisions when i'm not and the answer most of the time is because you're a stupid cunt that's why <laughs> but if you know if, if you, you don't, know that's yeah go ahead Mars. if you don't have the humbleness to understand the consequences of the choices you make when you make them on a high level like the responsibility that you have to carry around, then you shouldn't be taking decisions. You shouldn't be making those decisions. And that's the God honest truth. And if you really wanted to be the one making those decisions, you would take the responsibility needed to get there. Right. And in this movie, I think it's funny because it's not like the villain was particularly intelligent. He was shrewd for sure. He was calculating, but I wouldn't necessarily go to he was intelligent. You know, in the Matrix, the real enemy, which is the architect, man, that dude was smart. That dude was hella smart. You know, sorry, he wasn't the. He, it's the, the collective is the enemy, the machines. That's what, that was the that was the villains. But what's great about the Matrix, it was it was turned around in the at the ending, which just showed that humankind could be the villain also. So that yeah. there's a, a tug of war with it in that sense. You know, and I like that because it shows us all, don't get all arrogant in all of your like pursuit of righteousness here because you guys can be bad too. You know, don't be like kidding yourselves here. Like our, I know, Denise, like our episode last week was Equilibrium, was, was, which was also about uh, throwing down a totalitarian rule. What happened after? War. <laughs> there was peace for centuries because of that totalitarian rule. Then when they overthrew that, there was war. <laughs> there was killing, mass killings. So these are things that you have to question also, is it? Then again, that's something that's... That's going to go way deep into the rabbit hole, which I don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> or we can do an episode on rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Historic war? Yeah, we can do a series, the rabbit hole series. Yeah, <laughs> not bad, you know? not bad. <laughs> All right, so speaking of going down a rabbit hole, I think I'm going to ask my, my last question because this when I saw this movie for the first time and by the way I will say I never understood why Waterworld got such a bad rap you know I, I thought it was a spectacular movie did I it, it get a bad rap movie. yeah it, it was oh, it was completely made awesome. fun of yeah it got low ratings 
you know, and, and they lost a lot of money in the box office because obviously all of that water that doesn't exist in a regular set. So, but yeah, um, but one of the things in particular that I liked is the ending, you know, and I don't know if most people got it. So this is why I made this question. The movie Waterworld ends on a deceptively positive note, right? They end how most movies end. Ooh, we finally found the land that we've been searching for forever, you know? And they've fought hard and fought long and they finally got their proverbial victory. But what is unsaid, what is unexplicitly declared in that ending is, yeah, you found the land, but you guys now need to learn how to till the land. And you guys have been living on the water for decades. So none of you really has any experience with land. <laughs> so my question is, and, I'm, and this is really an opinion-based question, and I'm curious what you guys think. Do you think that these jokers that finally found land would have had a good chance of surviving? Why or why not? <laughs> they found the land of uh, milk and honey. No, I think they would. Uh, seriously, because uh, as humans, as, as homo sapiens, we, I think we have an, an innate uh, 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 fascination, I mean, uh, an adept feeling with land. Uh, we can't breathe in the water, so naturally we're going to be, they're going to probably fumble for a couple of days or even months, but I, I'm sure they're going to get the, the, the hang of it, how to farm, how to uh, uh, do all the things that, we, that would uh, cultivate uh, life. So I, I don't think it's going to be a problem uh, once they find actually find land, which actually in, 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 in a scientific basis, it, it, would, it would happen because there's a, there's a thing called a, 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 a glacial rebound. I think you call that, I think you call that a glacial rebound when, when, when after a while a land would, would be pushed upward to the, to the sea, thus creating islands. And that, that happens all the time. So, so yeah. <laughs> So that's going to happen. In, 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 if Waterworld was real, after a couple of centuries or, or, or thousands of years or so, there will be land. That's, that it will, it, 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 uh, land will always going to bounce back, uh, so to speak. What about you, Mark? Do you think these guys, these jokers would survive? I mean, if you have gills and you can drink your own pee, you can survive anywhere. Hold on. Did Kevin Costner go to land? He did it, right? He went he back. To the... He went back to the ocean. So he like, said, "All right, it. I've done my job, and I've always been a loner. I've had too much of your damn company for my own man. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm out of here. I'm well, back he, in the water." Well, he has gills. I don't think he needs land, and he drinks his own pee. You're right, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's totally. I mean, it's totally self self sufficient. Uh, what's it called? Self self whatever. Yeah, sufficient. Yeah. But but those other guys, the guys that the actually found is, the question is, does he guys... eat his own poop? The movie does. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, he fishes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Fish. And that's eating. a lot of fish. That's a, a but big is that, if, you have, if you have gills, isn't that like cannibalism sort of? It is. I think it is. Well, then again, I mean, we eat mammals. <laughs> We eat fellow yeah, mammals. We that, eat. That's true. So I guess, right? Yeah. 
It's candles. Before I jump to Martin, there's an interesting comment here from Vanessa. She was like, they will they will adapt as we are adapting now. And I guess she's talking about catching up with our conversation and how it's going. So I wanted to thank everybody that's been tuning in on the live stream. You guys are awesome. I know sometimes we are uh, a bit hard to handle, but we're always a pleasure. And you are a pleasure when you comment on our live feed and join us for the stream. So thanks for that. Martin, do you think those jokers, like not Kevin Costner, the actual non-guild people, that sounds funny. We're not of the guild. We don't have guilds. Anyway, sorry. If they would survive in, in land, like would they be able to adapt? Yeah, I'm sure they would. I mean, we have adapted to all sorts of things. So why not, why not going back on land? And they have supplies, like they have their floating villages and shit. They have technology. I mean, they had a better start than we originally had, right? So yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure they would. I'm pretty sure they would. So I've a, I'm of the theory that if there were more of them, or at least if they could send out messages to have more people come to that piece of land, we'd have a better chance of surviving. And the reason I feel this way is they're gonna go to this new environment and they're going to eat things that they've never eaten before, so they could get poisoned. They're going to be exposed to environmental factors they haven't been exposed to before, so they could get sick, they could get diseases and die. Um, they're also, they have never walked on land before, so a lot of them are going to get, you know, the seasickness, the opposite of seasickness, like when you've been on sea for a long time, you know, and people get really, really sick from this, and that's from just months of traveling on the ocean, right. what more decades of living on the ocean, you know. Right. So I, I, I have no idea you could get a land sickness. You land? Have a lot of mariners and, and, and seafarers and stuff, they, uh, they eventually adjust. But if let's say you go on a, on a cruise and you happen to do one that lasts for like three months, sometimes the cruises that last for six months, you do get kind of this land sickness when you go back on land, you know, cause you're, you know, your ears kind of get no. all wonky from the motion of the ocean and stuff. Mm. But so me, I think on a practical level, if there were more of them and if they could send for quote unquote reinforcements, like new people to populate, because um, I, I, I wager a large percentage of them would die off either from disease right. or from poisoning or whatever, you know? And then there's the other part, like I, I'm not entirely sure that they, cause they know how to fish and stuff. Right, like, would they know they could eat the fruits and the veg, for example? But like, they'd have to learn how to hunt, and and if they don't know how to hunt properly, then they get eaten by whoever it is that they're hunting. You know, so there's all of these like natural things that are actually against them in that sense, and that's why I asked this question because right. I'm I don't know I'm not holding out a lot of hope for these poor folk. Maybe no. that's why Kevin Costner was like, yeah, you know, this is not gonna work out you guys are on your own <laughs> i'm gonna leave you guys to it because this is a lost cause i'm gonna go back to like familiar territory i don't know how they how what what they'll think about uh when they see like an egg right i mean that's gonna be like oh they're gonna get freaked out you're right but they know how to cook it you know like that right. you can heat it up and stuff like yeah it's it's interesting obviously we've done it duh you know, obviously we've done it. It took us, it took, it took us a while, so I guess, yeah, unless they, they, they survive uh, uh, evolution in, in this island, which I think they will. I think we once have, we're very resilient. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a good question. What if there's dinosaurs on the island? Like, we don't know <laughs> at this point, you know? Like, it could be fucking totally reset. 
That could be because if if the sea creatures mutate, they, they might mutate. Crawl onto the land. That's right. And, and create and go back to to the beginning where a dimetrodon is going to be there and whatnot. And <laughs> okay, so ladies and gentlemen, I have had the time of my life, and I'm checking the comment stream. I apologize if you put a comment that I didn't see. I I don't know what happened. Um. I'm seeing some comments. Renee is saying hi, and Renee is asking what time it is there, Martin. So, Martin, what is what is the time? In uh, uh, well, in Denmark uh, right now, it's it's twenty past five, but uh, the podcast starts uh, four o'clock Danish time. Yes, Central European which is time. why he's in the beautiful sunlight while we're in the dark. You know. Yeah, it's awesome, yeah. right? Oh, so Renee says, "Oh, we missed you. We missed you all, and we missed the show. Well, we missed you too. So glad yeah, you could join us." Yeah, we missed you too, Renee. Yeah. All right. So if there are no more comments on the live stream, if you want, what I can also do is you can hit me up on Facebook Messenger for your comments because they're not coming out in the live stream. If you guys want to send me a message, my messenger is Denise Hack, so you can just look for me. Um, oh, and Pam was way ahead, so Pam did send me a screenshot, and it was the comment that I read earlier. So if you guys have any comments, you can do that. Otherwise, I wanted to ask my lovely co-hosts the usual question. Um, do you have any closing remarks for, you know, words of wisdom or caution, as it were, considering we've been discussing dystopian universes for the last four weeks? Uh, yeah, go Elsie. Again, it's a warning. I want Clearly, is global warming. Well, uh, the polar ice caps melt, melting. Uh, Antarctica, is, as we speak, is melting. So that's something that we have to. It's all all the all these sci-fi films, which I I love so dearly, are all warnings that uh, you know we should start thinking about it. Uh, hopefully, we do. Yeah, I love that, Elsie, and start doing something about it. Actually, you know, it's a very nice thought. Yeah. Martin, anything from you? If uh, if ever we see water world conditions, I would uh, love to recommend for all our listeners and everybody else to make sure you know how to swim. <laughs> and uh, if ever you meet a Kevin Costner-looking motherfucker with gills, remember invite him in for dinner. Don't don't prosecute the guy. And if you do those two things, you're going to be just fine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. But yes, it is very practical. Learn your survival skills, ladies and gentlemen. We did start this entire series with The Purge, and that talks a lot about survival. Swimming and other such skills are one of those survival skills we need to know. But to Elsie's point... You know, why don't we not get to that point where we need to actually pull out our survival skills and, you know, learn how to hunt with a knife in hand and a spear on the other. Um, I guess as a closing remark, not just for this show, but for the entire episode, our fascination with dystopia is something else. You know, we are fascinated by it because we are in denial that that will ever befall us. We're like, yeah, it's dystopia for a reason. Nothing like that will ever happen. They have to push the boundaries of imagination and stretch out the context and make, you know, extreme conditions to build out a cool story. 
and Elsie's right. You guys, this is not as far from happening as you guys might think, you know, and, and, and these dystopian movies as fascinating as they are to watch and as far removed as they may be for us in our reality today, they're not impossible. They're definitely not implausible. And if there's one lesson dystopian movies give us is it'll get there because we brought it there. We're the ones who put it that way. So let's just be a little bit more conscientious, a little bit more responsible, learn how to swim, <laughs> you know, and be good citizens of the world. You know, don't hold up in your little space and think, ah, fuck it, it's somebody else's problem. You know, it's everybody's problem. Um, and I have one more comment on the live stream before we close. <laughs> Christopher says, what about going to the, what is this? Svalbard's islands? Svalbard the... is a, it's a part of, it's a part of, it's, it's the most northern island north of Norway. It's like right, right above Norway, Svalbard. It's, it's Norwegian, but it's its own island, Svalbard. And he was talking about raiding a seed vault. There is a seed vault. Yeah, I think they made a seed vault up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For plants. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we need to do this. We need to do this. Um, I was just talking the other day with, with somebody about how, you know, in other countries, they already allot lots of land that the government distributes to the people so they can learn to plant, you know, and it's, what's it called again? land sharing yeah it's called land sharing and i wish other countries oh, i wish our country would be so advanced and so conscientious <laughs> yeah they're the dream right elsie <laughs> start, start with not start with throwing your trash properly <laughs> that's already a big that's already a big achievement if the whole country would not litter <laughs> Just a while ago, I was in the ATM and guys were just throwing their receipts. I don't even know where they even get receipts. You don't uh, need to get... Yeah, I also always wondered about that. Why do you get receipts in the ATM? You can see your account on the screen. <laughs> Keep it in your fucking wallet. Why throw it out? And not even in a trash can, by the way. On the floor. <laughs> Next to the ATM. I don't understand it. I really don't. That's one thing I will never understand with Filipinos. Sorry. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. The key to saving humanity, please do not issue yourselves receipts from the ATM machines. Ladies and gentlemen, we will contribute one receipt at a time Thanks. to the saving of this earth. <laughs> and on that note, I'd like to thank my co-hosts for being as silly and as smart as they always are. Elsie Martin, thank you so much. On behalf of the three of us, this has been the Naked Under the Table show. It has been a wonderful Monday night and a wonderful September. We bid you all good night. Yeah.